This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, how do we help America's most sleep-deprived profession, law enforcement? It's not only about how well they can do their job and shoot at the target and use force when needed or not. It's also about their stress, about their sleep, their food, and those kinds of interventions are missing. The risks of exhausted police when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. It was a dreadful disease, a hemorrhagic fever that killed quite gruesomely. The illnesses workers faced while building the Panama Canal. Then... There's a lot of things that we can learn in this country that are different overseas. The importance of keeping a global perspective on learning. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station and subscribe and listen to shows anytime on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. America is a sleep-deprived nation. Industrialization has taken us away from a sunrise-to-sunset culture to one that works around the clock. Today, an estimated 40% of American employees work non-standard hours, and even those who work 9 to 5 are getting a lot less sleep than they used to. Sleep deprivation has increased in the past 10 years, from a quarter of Americans to a third of Americans now sleeping lesser. And among those who sleep less, The protective services, police officers are the most sleep deprived to the extent that half of them do not get seven hours of sleep. Dr. Jagdish Kubchandani is professor of health science at Ball State University, whose study of more than 150,000 people over 10 years concludes that some professions are far more sleep deprived than others. What most of them have in common is working the graveyard shift. Number one, protective services, defense, army, military, police. Number two would be transportation, moving, production. And number three would be healthcare occupations. Now, what surprises me is that transportation, truckers, police officers, and healthcare professionals, those are the people who are in high stress jobs and are also responsible for our safety and health. And if those people are sleep deprived, it clearly would affect their functioning and it would affect the society. In other words, the people who are most likely to be dead tired and functioning poorly are those who we depend on for our very lives around the clock. The emergency room doctor on a 12-hour overnight shift and the young police officer who works in the job with the most true midnight shifts of all. What happens essentially if an officer is tired or sleep deprived or has a poor sleep quality, that officer is not going to perform as well as they should. That's Dr. John Violanti, research professor of epidemiology and environmental health at the University at Buffalo, who was a New York State trooper for 23 years. It's quite evident that we see more injuries, more accidents on midnight shifts than we do on the day shifts. We see more incidents of police complaints on the night shifts than we do on the day shifts. And we see more instances of officers having more difficulty in dealing with the stress because they haven't had any sleep. And you know, all of these things kind of factor into a poor performance. And this is certainly not good for them. 
in terms of their health, but it's also not good for the people they serve. According to studies, half of police officers admit they've fallen asleep while driving. 80% say they've had what they call a near-miss incident of some kind, something on duty that came close to going very wrong due to fatigue. Lab studies show that when they're tired, officers aren't as quick or as correct in decision-making, for example, in shoot-or-don't-shoot simulations. Violante says it doesn't surprise him. You have the stress of the situation and you have the lack of sleep. When you don't have enough sleep, your cognitive abilities are taxed. And by that I mean you can't, essentially in the words of the street, you can't think straight because of the lack of sleep. Now you couple that in a situation, a shooting situation, where it's extremely stressful, severely stressful, and you have an officer who is fatigued as well, it's only going to compound the problems that occur. It would start with mood swings, anxiety, uh, lack of concentration, irritability, and then it would progress to increasing stress, um, impacting the heart, liver, kidney, and the brain. Now, I don't know if police officers and healthcare professionals who are trying to be out there protecting people, if they have those problems, I don't know how well can they do their job, especially when they have to react at times in a composed manner. And if they're sleep deprived, their reaction times would be higher or slower, and they may react based on emotions, which should not be the case. You notice Kubchubdani mentions long-term effects of sleeplessness on the heart and liver as well as the brain. Violante agrees. People who work shift work have higher risk of cardiovascular disease, have a higher risk of diabetes. The major nurse study done in the United States, for example, found that nurses who primarily work the night shift over a period of 15 years had a higher risk of breast cancer. So what this all amounts to is that circadian disruption, which means that you're supposed to be sleeping when you're awake and you're supposed to be awake when you're sleeping, is not functioning properly because it's all out of adjustment. This is what causes the imbalance in the body. This is what eventually can lead to disease. Violante's study confirms the same thing among law enforcement, the most sleep-deprived of all professions. Their cholesterol and blood pressure are much more likely to be high than in most people, and the average age of death for officers is 66. The officers who had less than six hours of sleep had a higher risk of having poor artery health. Now, when you have poor artery health, it's a what we call a subclinical indication of future heart disease. So that was something that was essentially, and the next thing we found with that is that the longer that you are sleep deprived over time, the more likely you're going to have subclinical cardiovascular disease. But both Violante and Kub Chubadani say when it comes to law enforcement, it's more than just the lack of sleep. It's also the stress. Most people in most jobs do not have to contend with getting themselves involved in life-threatening situations, such as shootings, or dealing with all of the human misery and the horrible things that police officers see in their career. So an officer has to deal with all of that. And if that officer is not getting proper sleep, it's only going to make things worse. So it's just one of those occupations that it's a combination of things, and it's one of those occupations that affects one physically and psychologically at the same time. And because of that compounding, the risk for health is much worse. If you are looking at gunshot wounds and people in accidents, I don't know how you come home and decompress. 
I've talked to one officer and he said, the worst thing you could do to me when I come home, ask me how was my day? What do you expect? That I had fun? No, clearly I was in deep stress and just leave me alone, let me watch TV and use my phone. And that's how they're spending their time when they come back home. They don't socialize much. They don't go out and exercise much. Their diet is always changing and they eat what's available. And they're always on this alarm mode, flight and fight, that anything could happen now and they have to react. The problem of exhausted officers is made worse than for the rest of the third shifters in the general public by a variety of structural factors that face them. First, Violanti says many departments can't find enough good candidates for the police force. The resulting officer shortage stretches the ones that are already there. Because of this, there is now, in many departments, mandatory overtime. So you might, for example, work a 10-hour shift and be asked by your supervisor to work another 10-hour shift. This is very difficult for people to do. The other problem is that movement that we've seen in the past 10 years from the typical eight-hour shift to a 10-hour or a 12-hour shift in police departments also causes problems because, uh, I mean, you can imagine. Another factor? If an officer working the midnight shift makes an arrest or even a traffic stop, he or she will likely have to show up in court for it during the day. You can go to court for a range of different things. It could be simple traffic. It could be homicide for the accident. And sometimes these court appearances can last a long time. You know, I recall being on one court appearance where I was on the stand for six hours. And having just got off the midnight shift at 7 a.m., I had to be in court at 9 a.m., and I was there for six hours, and I was totally exhausted by the time I got home. So officers run into situations like this, and you can't avoid them. You have to appear. Maybe, you know, at times it could be uh, three to four times a week. Court dates are something departments can't do much about, but Kub Chubdani says the top brass generally have been slow to react to the problem of sleep deprivation among officers. Violanti says it's a problem that feeds on itself. Some officers... They just can't handle this anymore. I mean, we all have a certain ability to cope with these things. And over time, if you don't get any sleep and you're stressed out, you're going to lay down. You're going to say, I'm going to call in sick tonight. So that's another thing that can happen. I'm not going in because I can't. And when that happens, essentially, other officers have to fill the gap. And again, you have the mandatory overtime and extended time at work and so forth. So it's, a, it's sort of a vicious circle. But what should departments do to help their officers get the rest they need when they still need to cover their jurisdictions 24-7? It's not like they can eliminate midnight shifts or going to court, but they could go to rotating shifts with officers on midnights for a while, then on other day parts and back again. The problem with rotating shifts is that the duration of the shift. If you have a situation where an officer has to rotate every week, that officer will never be able to adjust. So they work well to some degree if the period of time of the shift is long, uh, let's say a month perhaps or two months, where the officer has a chance to adjust to that shift. Those work to some degree. Other departments have been going to steady shifts. In other words, if you're on midnight shift, you're always on midnight shift. You don't rotate. We find this to be less hurting than rotating shifts. The problem with that is that the young officers who have no seniority end up on a night shift. 
and may get stuck there for many years. No matter how shifts are constructed, Kub Chubdani and Violanti say training is also effective. And it makes sense because staying alert is a survival skill on the street. It's not only about how well they can do their job and shoot at the target and use force when needed or not. It's also about their stress, it's about their sleep, their food, and those kinds of interventions are missing. Most police training focuses on how to use force or not and how to manage your emotion, but not really stress and diet and sleep. Training and good sleep hygiene. And what I mean is teaching officers how to get a good night's sleep. Many don't know how to do that. They don't know how, for example, a simple thing like having a room darkening shade when they go to bed or not to exercise immediately before they go to bed because it'll keep you awake or not to drink coffee or alcohol before you go to bed. Innovative programs could also help. Violanti says recent experiments using EMTs shows that structured napping during the shift has big benefits. You initiate a controlled situation where an officer on a night shift can come in and nap for 15 to 20 minutes, be given five minutes for recovery from the nap, and then go back into the work. And this would be a controlled situation where you can do it in areas where officers can be away from their area for that period of time. So that's been tried, and it seems to work very well. The other one is the use of caffeine. Surprisingly enough, caffeine actually can help you stay more alert if you use it properly. Law enforcement agencies can no longer treat sleep like something that's solely an officer's responsibility. It's a joint effort. Kub Chubdani says 95% of what we do is in reaction to our surroundings. And if our reactions are marred by sleep deprivation, then officers, the department, and public safety can't be as well served as they otherwise would be. You can find out more about our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.org. I'm Reed Pence. Holiday celebrations are often joyous occasions, but they can be challenging for the millions of people living with Alzheimer's disease and those who care for them. The hustle and bustle of the holidays can be stressful for those with Alzheimer's, and changes in the daily routine, large gatherings, and noisy environments can create extra anxiety. Monica Marino, Senior Director of Care and Support at the Alzheimer's Association, has some tips to make the holidays enjoyable. First, plan ahead. Prepare the host for special needs, such as a quiet room for the person to rest. If you're hosting, let guests know what to expect before they arrive. Since crosstalk and multiple conversations can be challenging for people living with Alzheimer's, try engaging the person one-on-one or in smaller groups and keep them involved in the celebrations. Marino also suggests experimenting with new traditions. For example, if evening confusion and agitation are a problem, turn your holiday dinner into a holiday lunch or brunch. Find out more tips at ALZ.org. According to the American Cancer Society, prostate cancer is one of the leading causes of cancer deaths in American men. That's why for men with prostate cancer at risk of progressing, monitoring for signs of progression is critical. I'm Dr. Chris Pazanka, a urologist at Associated Medical Professionals in New York who has been paid by Janssen Biotech as a spokesperson. Men with prostate cancer whose disease progresses after treatments like surgery or radiation may receive hormone treatment to lower testosterone called androgen deprivation therapy, or ADT. 
However, for certain men, prostate cancer can further progress despite this treatment. Prostate cancer that is not spread to other parts of the body and no longer responds to a medical or surgical treatment that lowers testosterone, or ADT, is called non-metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer, or NMCRPC. Men with NMCRPC are at risk for the disease spreading to other parts of the body. Erlita, also known as apalutamide, is a prescription medicine used to treat prostate cancer that is not spread to other parts of the body and no longer responds to a medical or surgical treatment that lowers testosterone. In a clinical study, the median time men on Erlita lived without their prostate cancer spreading was 40.5 months versus 16.2 months. Erlita is not for use in women. Use birth control during and for three months after treatment with Erlita because it can cause harm or death to an unborn baby. Erlita may cause serious side effects including heart disease, falls in fractures, and possible risk of seizure. Call your doctor right away if you experience chest pains, sudden loss of consciousness, or a seizure, and go to the nearest emergency room if you get chest pain or discomfort. The most common side effects were fatigue, joint pain, rash, decreased appetite, weight loss, high blood pressure, hot flash, and diarrhea. Tell your doctor if you get a rash. These are not all the possible side effects. Tell your doctor about your medical history of heart disease, seizures, stroke, brain injury, or tumor, and all your medical conditions. If you're concerned about your prostate cancer spreading, ask your doctor about Erlita. For more information, please see our ad in Popular Mechanics. Call 1-877-546-3586 or visit www.erlita.com. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Radio Health Journal is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. Child bullies grow up into adult bullies and particularly if it's effective for them. If a bully is successful in getting what he or she wants, then they'll persist into adulthood. What makes a nasty neighbor a conniving co-worker or a sexual harasser? Then becoming a first-time father in your 40s or 50s, what it's like being an old dad to young kids. I often get mistaken when I'm with my kids at a supermarket as their grandfather. They'll say it explicitly. How are your grandkids today? All that and more on Radio Health Journal.